With Web3 gathering more momentum than ever before across the entire tech ecosystem, what can we learn from the recent past of tech adoption? In this episode from December 2018, author and podcaster Brian McCullough talks with A16Z general partner Chris Dixon about the origins of the internet, based on Brian's book, How the Internet Happened, from Netscape to the iPhone, which covers the beginning of the internet era, now known as Web 1.0, through the dot-com boom and bust, the beginning of Web 2.0, and the advent of mobile with the iPhone. They discuss lessons learned, how innovation doesn't always happen in a straight line, and what the past can tell us about the next phase of the internet, technology, and the future. Hi, this is Chris Dixon. This is the A60Z podcast. And today we have Brian McCullough, the author of the recent awesome book, which I just read, called How the Internet Happened from Netscape to the iPhone. Thanks for being here, Brian. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I thought it was a really fun book. I guess I had lived through some of it and knew some firsthand and had heard a lot of the stories from some, maybe some of the principles or sort of secondhand. I'll say first, I really liked the book because as far as everything I knew, which I'd say maybe more than half of it or something from first to second hand, it was very accurate. And so I, I just appreciate that. No, <laughs> um, I appreciate you saying that. And then number two is really entertaining. It was a great read. I highly recommend reading it. But then the third thing is, you know, I think it's a great resource, especially for younger people who are interested in technology or I guess, you know, in some ways everyone might be interested in the internet these days, right? Even if they're not in the technology industry, they probably should be interested in the internet. I just think it's a great resource to have, you know, kind of this, what may become the canonical kind of history of the internet for that period. So The thesis was two-part. I'm thinking of non-tech people. What has been more influential, disruptive, technology has infiltrated every facet of our life. More clear than ever in the last few years. I feel like anybody would want to know who did this? Yeah. <laughs> Why did they do it? Well, how you like did it they or do not? It? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I was thinking, number one, of, yeah. of my parents, and here's how you got a supercomputer in your pocket, all that stuff. But number two, as we were talking about off air, about 10 years ago, you know, I'm 40 now, so I started to, when I meet with young entrepreneurs and, and things like that, they'd start to say things like, oh, wow, you were around for the dot-com stuff? What was that like? Yeah. So now 10 years on, if, if you're 26, you know, yep. the internet has just always been in the ether all around. So if you're a young entrepreneur entering tech today, I wanted, here is your industry. Yep. And not going all the way back to even the PC era. No, yeah. the modern era of Web-based startups, especially. Yeah, so the book covers startups. sort of Netscape, so 93-ish right. to, I think, 2007 or I so. I end iPhone. with the announcement of the first iPhone, yeah. And and that's important, I think, even if you aren't someone who's interested in history per se or whatever. Like, if you want to understand, I, I mean, I, I think I would argue, and I assume you would agree, that if you want to sort of try to predict the future of your industry, you should know where it came from, right? And that, right. that, that gives you a good... You know, gives you pattern recognition. Pattern recognition, you, you know, but also, why forget the lessons of the mistakes. Yeah, learn, why, learn from the mistakes, yeah. Why forget the things that failed? When you go into the dot-com era stuff in those chapters, you're seeing all the things like grocery delivery, like cloud computing, cloud storage, and things like that, that were always good ideas, but seemed like the most boneheaded wrong ideas at the time because it was just too soon. Yeah. So there's so many lessons all throughout the book of not just why did this thing work and that thing didn't, but why did that thing not work then and does it work in other contexts? And learning those yeah. patterns, I think, are the most valuable. I have this, I always forget the name of it. I got It's on eBay, but it's a card game from like 2005. Mm. 
I think it was like dot bomb or something. But it's mm. and it was a joke at the time. It was of course a, the internet yeah. had sort of become a joke. And um, and it was the cards were each all the it was bad idea cards. Uh-huh. And it was like internet grocery delivery, internet money. It was funny because I actually wrote a blog post about this. It's on somewhere where it's almost like all of the companies that are sort of the hot companies today in technology were these quote unquote bad ideas. Right. Which I think the lesson is. I think Mark Andreessen said this, like, there are no bad ideas. They're just ideas that are too early. Right. right? I mean, and you saw it all happen in that kind of primordial soup of the 90s. And so that's also – there's a built-in fun narrative there, which is you have the web going mainstream. And so you have this sort of, like, uh, Cambrian explosion of technology and companies. And then the asteroid hits and the dinosaurs are dead. And then the rebirth. So, like, seeing that, like, so maybe that is the more important lesson than individual ideas that don't work. But being in an industry that is prone to occasionally on a cycle, uh, everything's going to blow up. And so how do you and your company and your idea survive that sort of a cycle? It's, It's hard to describe to people who didn't live through it, how the internet looked 2001 to, let's mm-hmm. say, four, like pre-Google IPO, I guess. Right. And you talk about that in the book, before people realized. Like, and it was, you know, it was clear people, like, it was an important thing. People would use it, you know, although nothing like today. You didn't have smartphones and everything. It would be more like this thing. You go home, you check right. your email. Like, it's this nice way to send pictures to your family. So it's clearly, like, a useful thing 2001 to four, but, it, but the assumption was it's one of these things like the airline industry or something that'll just never make money, right? It was a cool thing, cool tool. We're using it. But, man, was that a bad idea from a business perspective? perspective right. and There's two that things. was the sentiment and then google i remember google's sort of you know their ipo and then a bunch of others do you remember of, the first time you heard how much money google was making because i remember yeah. so many people's reaction to that because that was the thing is that yeah. everyone had been conditioned to think yeah. that while the internet was fun it was probably a niche and you were never going to yeah. be able to build a truly yeah. great company on top of it and then all of a sudden because i kept it secret for so long i remember people's yeah. reactions to just their jaws dropping and I think, as I recall, I joined the industry, and there were sort of all these other kind of green shoes. You saw, you know, if you were in the industry, you start yeah. to say, "Wait, that person, you know, yeah. they're supposed to be a terrible thing, and they're making well, two Katarina couple hundred million. Being yeah, one of them, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they were absolutely like Flickr and Delicious, and there were all these cool products, but yeah. also there were Zappos and PayPal yeah. and a bunch of other companies who were actually still kind of going, and they weren't Google, but they were, you know, they were real businesses. So, anyways, let's go through some of the chapters of the book. So, I think one particularly interesting thing is in the early stage of the internet. There was this kind of – I think one thing people don't realize today is the kind of bottom-up decentralized architecture of the web. There was an alternative to it Mm -hmm. um, known as the information superhighway being pushed by companies like – I believe you you know better – Comcast, Disney, Microsoft. Well, they were all planning to get together and make – you know, there there was a million plans, a million meetings. And I say in the book, you know, Bill Gates took meetings with all and sundry from Barry Diller to whoever. So the point being though that there were plenty of people who just didn't believe in the internet. And then among the people that did – I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I don't think anybody, even the people that eventually became internet true believers, thought that it was good enough. That's, I think, the lesson. Well, okay, okay, sorry. So, yeah. I, but I guess wait, let me let me rephrase it. I, I think there were there was some camp of people that just weren't excited by the idea of networking computers. Okay? Right. So sure. not, then there of the people that wanted to network computers mm-hmm. globally, there mm-hmm. were people that thought the best way to do it would be in this kind of centralized way Absolutely. with a you know putting a big box by your TV right. with a big fat pipe and you know and sort of a TV kind of top-down experience controlled right. by Comcast, Disney, Microsoft. And then there was sort of this really kind of unlikely alternative, which was this, at the time, pretty crappy mm-hmm. experience in Mosaic mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, homebrew websites and Yahoo. And you talk about this 
you know, in right. the book. But like, and, and I think, I don't know, I think that was sort of the, at, at least let's say 90, 93 or 4, probably right. still the underdog. Yeah. The, the, Certainly. The, you know, the, right? That, that approach. Um, and the fact that, versus AOL and, and right. all these other companies, you know, and the fact that that ended up winning, like, what's the lesson there? It's a very interesting The story. lesson, we're almost saying it, it's obvious. The lesson is sometimes just good enough technology. Yeah is good enough. So like, again, Bill Gates and Barry Diller, all of them, they weren't wrong. They believed that yeah. broadband was going to become... So they were trying for perfect too right. early and right. and just good enough was better. They knew it was going to come 2002. They weren't wrong. Yeah. That's the yeah, date yeah, yeah. that broadband started to penetrate and things like that. So they thought they had time was the key essence. And they thought that, okay, we'll all play nicely together. We'll all take our piece of the pie or whatever. So it's classically out of nowhere from the bottom up, like you're saying. It was almost like the PC too, because it's hobbyists that want to do this thing. So people see the early web and, you know, pictures are enough. Little postage size videos are enough to do cool things at the beginning. Now, then you have the crazy people that come on top of that and say, can I do commerce on top of this? Can I build an actual business on top? of this. But what you need first is you need the technology to be good enough to excite a sort of like enough people to accept the limitations of the good enough technology. And then if you reach a critical mass there, then you can at least build businesses off those early adopters. But I would also, maybe I'm promoting my own view of the world Mm. here too much, but I would also argue it's very important that the people that are excited in the beginning are Mm. also people like who are able to build websites and or build code or write client or do whatever. Like the fact that a lot of them were software developers or computer enthusiasts, right? And like the same with the early PC, like you didn't just want people to use it, you want people to write spreadsheets and word processors and do all that stuff, right? And so for that, we have to credit Berners-Lee, of course, because not only does the web bring sexiness to the internet, the internet had been around by 25, 30 years at that point, but the pictures and the things and the cat videos, like that gets normal people involved. But Berners-Lee and HTML is so dead simple that you have to only be minimally sophisticated to be able to develop for it, right? So we have to give them credit. Him and then also the academics and Mm -hmm. other people who made DNS, for example, like the fact that it was permissionless. The fact that a hobbyist in a university could be on sort of level playing field with Disney on the web, right? Right. And like put up a website and... So it's that sort of chicken and egg thing where people see the web for the first time in the Mosaic browser because it's easy to use because you can get it on Windows and they say, I want to create a cool thing like what I just saw yeah. and so it's easier for them to go off and create that cool thing. It's right. You need both sides yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. I see. So you need sort of the one side that kind of inspires people right. and gets them fired up and, and you know, the other side that lets them then go. Uh, the obvious analogy to think of today is like VR is still yeah. it's not only can you not get mainstream people to adopt it but it's still relatively difficult and you have to be super sophisticated to create yeah. decent VR experiences. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so there's that. So to me, that, that beginning part was really interesting, the sort of top-down, bottom-up battle. And in fact, like, I think you had in the book, I'd seen this before, but Bill Gates' first version of his The Road Ahead, which came out in, what, yeah. 95 or something? 94-ish. 94-ish. Yeah. Didn't, it barely had the web in it, and then right. they actually revised a version. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly had 150 it did, But it did have information super high. It did talk yeah, about networking. Right, right. And so that's, that's the only thing. I'm not calling Bill Gates stupid at all no, in the book. Yeah, yeah. He had the vision. Yeah, yeah. He just bet on the wrong horse yeah, because yeah. he thought that it was too nerdy for yeah. normal people yeah. to adopt. Interesting. And then you talk about a bunch of interesting companies, obviously sort of the canon of the iconic companies, I guess, Netscape, Yahoo, mm-hmm. Google, eBay, Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. eBay is an interesting one because I think of the, you know, well, they're all interesting, but obviously Google and Amazon are, are wildly powerful companies today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Yahoo, of course, had its sort of fall and was kind of replaced by Google. I think eBay is interesting because, you know, they're still an important company. Uh-huh. They're a big company. 
but we don't think of them as well, they're not sort of GAFA. They're not the four big ones. Right. But from a product point of view, I think you argue they in some ways could be the most influential internet company and in some ways the truest internet company. And I was surprised that I discovered that in yeah. writing the chapter. I knew I was going to write about eBay. But so there's three things that they do that I argue are super influential and they deserve more credit for laying the groundwork for this. Number one. They teach normal people to trust faceless strangers from across the country online, right? When I was doing the library research for this, as late as like the Christmas of 98 and 99, people are wondering if e-commerce is ever going to take off because they can't convince enough people to put their credit cards online. Like We're in a completely through the looking glass world now in terms of that sort of stuff. But so the fact that eBay trained normal people that you can trust faceless masses, we should not underestimate the people that were the training wheels for the modern digital era. And so just doing something like that is key. The second thing that is key is that, like I said, these are masses that are self-organizing. Yeah. And so like we live in the tyranny of the five-star rating system. How would yeah. Uber, Airbnb, go down the list? They created or they proved that a non-hierarchical sort of self-organized reputation yeah. system could yeah. function online, maybe not perfectly, but well enough yeah. to achieve scale to be good enough most of the time. Did eBay invent that or popular? There must have been a concept in like I'm sure, of back course, from like the Usenet or I'm something. I'm sure, of course, they did yeah, not invent it. Yeah. But the story is, is that they Pier- certainly popularized it. They certainly made it mainstream. Right, Pyramidiar yeah. did not want to have to settle the disputes between users, yeah. so he just created a system out of laziness that was like, all right, you can accrue reputation, and if you don't defend that reputation, it's going to harm you. And so that was actually one of the key reasons that they, because Amazon came after them, Yahoo auctions came. You know, yeah, yeah. people once they invested in that reputation. Yeah. Reputation yeah. system enough, they're not going to go to the other platform, right? So, so there's trust people on the internet, the rating system. system and, then and then the third one is just the fact that, and I do argue this, maybe around the edges there are others, but they were the first company to succeed at our business model is just whatever our users are doing on our platform. And I tell the story in the book that like Jeff Skoll is, the newspapers were not dumb no matter what anyone says. They were yeah. kicking the tires. They knew that this was a threat to their yeah. classified ads business. But one of the guys says to Jeff, my C-suite's not going to sign off on buying you because you don't own anything. You don't own yeah. trucks. You don't own factories. And that's common yeah, throughout yeah. the digital era. But also, they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that like you're not even taking possession of the goods. Yeah. All you're doing is letting people interact. Yeah, yeah. right? And so again, where would social media be? Some of the most powerful, yeah. valuable companies in the world don't own anything. That's precisely why they're so valuable, because right. that it turns out that's a very profitable exactly. thing. You don't have to right. deal with all right. Of the right. right the inventory and everything else. Yeah. It's funny you still see that on like Twitter. People are like, you know, how could Uber be more valuable than mm-hmm. I don't know what hurts or something? They don't own things, and it's like, well, it's not the, that's actually a feature, not a bug from right. a, from right. from a, from a PNL perspective. That's interesting. So. I guess some other interesting ones, so Napster. That was when I learned a little bit more. I mean, I knew this public yeah. story, but well, I never that's, really that's knew That's another one where yeah. I discovered what that was about while doing it yeah. because and we all think Napster is about piracy. It's about yeah. disruption of a media industry yeah. that, that can't get with the times quick enough and was dug their heels in stubbornly. But no. And I got this by interviewing some of the Napster guys where they're making their case. And then when you do the research, you see their quotes from 1998, 99. They're screaming this from the rooftops. The story of Napster is... Today we live in a world for media of unlimited selection and instant gratification. If I tell you about a TV show, movie, book, whatever, we just did that with our phones, right? You know, you expect to be able to pull it up in five seconds and at least sample it or probably consume it, right? They that's what they had. And had they been able to convince anyone of that in 1999, it would be a completely different media landscape. And 
the only problem that they had is, you know, don't pick a fight with an industry that has literal mob ties going yeah. back to its very founding days. That's the interesting thing is it's sort of a three-act – to me, it's a three-act play, right? So the first act is Napster does this and mm-hmm. everyone says they're instigating piracy. Mm-hmm. And the second act is, okay, we shut them down. We got rid of the pirates. And the third act is it turns out in a way they were right all along. It wasn't about getting things for free. It was right. about the convenience. And, like, and, and Steve Jobs said the same thing. But like right in the end, it turns out like today that there's like very little uh, – you know, I mean there's music piracy and there's movie piracy right. and there's video game piracy. But for the most part – If you make it simple yeah, enough and have right. a reasonable price. That's right. That's right. So it turns out we now know that their value proposition actually was, as they claimed, right. uh, a, great, a great deal of it was about convenience and not about stealing. 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, the direct analogy is Spotify, right? Yeah. You could have had a Spotify in 1999 or 2000 yeah. at the very least. This is, again, classic disruption stuff. You can't convince an industry at the height. Yeah. Uh, you know, 1999, I think, is the height, and they're doing $20 billion because of the CD format. And that's all that yeah. classic stuff. But at the same time, you know, there's other reasons why Napster didn't work out. They couldn't attract the best talent, and the legal stuff happened from day one. But didn't they also get displaced by like Nutella and all these other, or more like, or what was it, Kazaa? Yeah, like, but like, let's say that the record companies had been willing to at least play yeah. ball a little bit and yeah. do tests with them yeah. as a platform, right? Yeah. Think of the counterfactual there. Where would if Apple launches the iPod? How does that eventually gain traction other than being something that then, if Napster is popularized, is just, you know, an accessory to Napster, yeah. right? And then, you know, if that model had been proven, who's to say that they wouldn't have been the ones to go? Cause it's the next obvious thing to video streaming and things like that. So, you know, Netflix had the road open to them because there was no one else doing it, but like there could have been a player already there that had proven success through this model yeah. and would obviously have gone into video. And that then, when when YouTube and Netflix came along, the movie and TV folks industries had seen what happened to the music industry and were savvier this time, right? And instead, of, one, instead of just sort of saying, let's just fight it tooth and nail, maybe we can make it work for us. Number one, they trust Google to have the math to at least take down the piracy yeah. enough. Yeah. Number two, Google had already proven AdWords and was making you know billions of dollars a year at these little contextual ads. And so... Google can come to the table with them from day one once they own YouTube and say, hey, there's money here. Do you want a piece of this? So as opposed to Napster, which didn't have that built out. So they're they're begging the record companies to come to their platform that they're going to build. They haven't done it yet. But they don't have in place any monetization. So from day one, once YouTube is under Google's wing, Google has at least something. It wasn't yeah. what they wanted. It wasn't going to replace their existing business models, but something was better than nothing. Yeah. So let's talk about Google a little bit. So I think to me, there's many remarkable things about Google, but perhaps one of the most remarkable is the business model, mm-hmm. which kind of in like the most serendipitous like yeah. confluence <laughs> events in history, right? You create the most popular. I mean, you sort of think what went, I mean, they were brilliant, of course, and, sure. and, and invented all this amazing stuff, but they, they built this incredibly valuable search engine. I mean, incredibly effective and useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the web, of course, explodes in use yeah. in value and broadband and smartphones and all that. But then this company called Go Overture, to. GoTo originally, Overture, and then yeah. Overture, for sort of completely a little bit orthogonal reasons, invents the greatest business model of all time, which right. happens to tuck perfectly into Google's model. I, right? I just gave a talk a couple of weeks ago at Google. Yeah. Um, it posted recently. And I said to them, I was like, I don't know how to say this here, but um, obviously, you guys, your first miracle was you solved search. God bless. Yeah, how can yeah. we function today without that? Your number two miracle is that you created the greatest advertising machine ever devised by humanity. But yeah. actually, you didn't create it. You yeah. kind of stole it. Yeah. They didn't steal it. Somebody I, else. 
else, so somebody yeah. else invented yeah, it else invented because it, they actually made it functionally better. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the Google story. There's no problem that they don't think that they can do better. The quality score stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, well, and they had, they had great, like GoTo did never had great organic results. They just had right. results. It was just a Go-to pure Go GoTo was auction. a yeah. pure pay for play yeah. thing. It was like for people today, it's like just the SEM without the SEO. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. just the right rail without the left. And, and then, like, that, that original model, because again, I, I built one of my first companies yeah. purely on AdWords. Yeah. So imagine this perfect three-sided market where as uh-huh. an advertiser, I'm paying less per click if my ad is more relevant. Because I remember like yeah. I, I used to be paying $2 or whatever over on GoTo, and all of a sudden I'm paying 30% cents a click because my ad is better. And as it gets yeah. better, it goes down. The, the Google's making more money because they know that I, someone might be bidding a dollar but only be clicked yeah. on a certain amount of times. If, if you bid five cents but get yeah. clicked on 30 times, we make more money. And they did those, they did that actual A-B testing where it's like the users actually preferred the ads because if the organic results are good, yeah, maybe these paid results also might have some benefit, you know, for certain use cases. So people actually searched more once they put the ads up. So it's the perfect three-sided yeah. market where it's win-win-win. Well, the other fascinating thing, right, is all of the pressure at the time was around – so that everyone thought the only possible business model for search was sort of the portal model, which mm-hmm. was to have, you know, banner ads. Right. And so surrounded by celebrity news and all sorts of stuff. It's the classic stuff, right? eyeballs attention. Yeah, yeah. Thing, and yeah. so and so there was all these famous stories. I think it was was it Excite with George mm-hmm. Bell or, or mm-hmm. something yeah. where they, where you know and and I'm not taking I, I don't I'm not criticizing these executives no. at all because like that, that was the, the business model at the time. But the, no, the whole thing I, was I don't want a search engine that's too good that gets yeah, them off my yeah. site because that destroys my business I, model. So like the other brilliant thing that Larry and Sergey did right beyond everything else was stick to their principles with kind of crazily right mm-hmm. with no business model <laughs> at all. In sight, and as I point out, in the and book, we're going to go against the entire industry, and we're going to just bet that a business model will come along that's going to work, even though everyone says it's not going to. Their yeah. investors have said yeah. publicly that we were starting to get a little itchy. Yeah. Like, like, are you guys ever gonna? Well, they had this whole real. This yeah. sounds crazy today, but they had a real effort to do. They, they were going to sell Google Boxes, right. which yeah. were this enterprise <laughs> search because everyone knew consumer yeah. had no business model. Right. And uh, there's like a, I remember there's a great business we got from like 2000. Like, you know, awesome search engine. How will they ever make money? Yeah. You know, another one of these like pipe dreams Silicon valley things and they literally it was like well, we'll sell a box it's a hundred thousand dollars you put it in your data center it collects your corporate I documents think they were still like, manufacturing those as recently as two years ago by the way is that right i well, think they yeah, only yeah. recently shut that yeah. business down they probably felt bad because someone bought them and you <laughs> yeah, felt like yeah. you had to support it i don't know um anyways um so that's an amazing story um well, i don't know what, what you tell me like what other i mean there's a whole bunch of great stories in there yeah i mean i i fought hard as we said um to preserve the stories of the dot-com bubble because i think for our industry it's key to remember so the like the bad, you mean the bad side of the bubble? Or the, the bad or, yeah. side. So, yeah, let's talk about that. So sure. the, you're talking about just the froth and the bad companies and the, that the whole kind of hysteria. And yeah, the and and so part of it is excusable by the fact that you know any any new technology is a lot of entrepreneurs feeling around in the dark to see what actually works. Yeah. But this was more so than most because no one knows anything. No one knows if you can successfully do commerce on the on the internet at the beginning. No one knows like uh, I think of it as like you're 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 searching on more degrees of freedom than normally. Mm-hmm. Normally you're looking for like what's right. a good product. Here you're just trying to figure out what's a good product, what's a good when business invent, model, what's a good like it just so much was unknown. When you right? invent the internal combustion engine, you have a pretty good idea you're eventually yeah. going to move people and goods that's, that's on right, it, right? That's right. Okay. But no one even knows it's like that that analogy of the elephant like you're looking at the elephant yeah, yeah. somebody sees a tail somebody yeah. sees a toe like no one really knows what they're yeah, looking at yeah. and so i don't 
a lot of the fun excess and things like that, um, I don't blame the people involved at all because no one knew. And yeah. anybody that tells you from that time, oh, well, we were successful because we – no, come on. It was just random chance in yeah. a lot of cases. Um, proven out by the fact that the vast majority of them were e-commerce plays, right? Well, I think the way you describe in your book is – so you sort of have – I don't remember the years exactly, but mm-hmm. like 95-ish, you have some like high-quality companies. 96 uh, is uh, more of that. At some point, maybe 99, is you, did get, it, it, you get cynical. Right. At some point, you do get the sort of the right. hucksters and the cynicism yes, yes. and just like pure you know, that, business plans, IPO. And so I think, I think there's like there's – right, structural so, so, so there's stuff. So there's – the great companies that survived, there's the really well-intentioned good ideas mm. that just didn't happen to make it. And then at some point there is this sort of cynical – Because uh, there's the quotes from the VCs here. in there, number one, where they're like, we don't have to back a successful yeah. company because all we got to do is get it out the door yeah. and get it public, right? And, well, the, and the way capitalism works is like maybe there are VC. I assume there were VCs mm-hmm. who were really trying hard – to find companies that would really work long term, but eventually, right. if they just right. if their neighbor is doing the yeah. cynical strategy yeah. Yeah. and winning, the you know it's the, the, the classic system bubble, will reward that. The yeah. greater yeah. fool, yeah. like can I can I get out while the getting's good before those guys get out while the getting's good? But also, then you know, it's not just the VCs it, because Wall Street had so much, and not just Wall Street itself, but like as I point out in the book, like this is historically these are the baby boomers reaching their peak earning years yeah, and they're gonna yeah. that money had to go somewhere so almost independent of the internet you would have had some right you would have had some Ma- it was it was it was a ripe era for some maggie mayhar the journalist from barons in the book i quote her she said something like yeah if someone would have had to invent this it yeah. was the froth and the cappuccino yeah. of the of uh, uh, the longest bull market in history yeah you yeah. know going back to 82 so yeah well, let's talk let's more about the so that kind of the frothy mm-hmm. sort of craziness there right so many times in this book so many of the ideas that seemed dumb at the time prove out later because they were just too soon there was a startup i think they might have been public uh in the late 90s called myspace but it wasn't the social network myspace it was literally you would put a widget on your desk it was dropbox (laughs) right store your files in the cloud right but you know this is in the era of dial-up um wi-fi doesn't have there's there were so many things uh, one of the most notorious dot-com era flameouts is webvan yeah. Which is grocery delivery, right? The story of the the pets.com and all of there was there were four to five major pets e-commerce plays, and they couldn't find ways to economically ship yeah. uh, dog food. Yeah. Now again, that's a classic story, but obviously that's a problem that's been solved now. So in a way, this is always true again in tech, but any technology like there. Are, Ideas that will always be bad ideas, and then there are ideas that are only bad ideas because of certain – the technology's not there yet, the market's not yep. there yet, the public's not there yet. Yep. So there's a lot of those stories in the book, and I wanted to preserve that. I wanted to also show even ideas or people that swing and miss in certain eras. Why do they come back? What are the lessons that, that – because it's not like, well, yeah, boy, I, I – What are some good examples there? Frankly, things like – the on-demand delivery stuff, oh. because there was Cosmo here in New York City. Oh, so City. you're saying the okay? I thought you meant the very same people. You're saying just trying the same mm, ideas. Well, around. I mean, I'd have to think about it a bit, but there are people, Mark being a perfect example, yeah, yeah. you know. But the idea that you wouldn't hunker down and wait on your idea to no one knew at the time you needed smartphones to get the on-demand delivery yeah, yeah. piece of the puzzle to work. But it's not like people hunkered down and waited. A lot of the people went into, in different directions. The people that were successful, like the, the, a lot of the people that founded PayPal, you know, came from other dot-com yeah. stuff that they either flipped and sold or IPO'd or whatever. But then they didn't keep going 
with those original either e-commerce players or whatever it was that they did. Like what was Zip2? It was like a directory or something like that. They went in a different direction. Yeah. So like I wanted to track like that sort of development on the specific personal story mm-hmm. level too. Where do you think uh, – so maybe just switching gears here a little bit, but like do you, where do you think we are – when you write that – you must have thought a lot about this, I assume, mm-hmm. when you wrote the book. Like, So you, you wrote about that era and then you can mm-hmm. imagine a follow-up book from like yeah. 2007 yeah, to yeah, today, yeah. which yeah. I kind of call a smartphone era, I, th- right. I assume. Um, where do you think we are now? Like do you think this is the internet and now – I mean obviously it will get better and improve, but like that was sort of it in the same way that – like well, you wrote a book about the automobile industry, right? You write about – Mm-hmm. You sort of the equivalent of your book would be covering I don't know what 1901 to right, 1915 right, right, or something, right, right, right? Yeah, yeah. And then after that, okay, you get more makes and models, and they get faster and this and that. But fundamentally, you know, right. or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe in the automobile industry, you could argue that stage two was about building suburbs and trucking companies, and you know, so that would be sort of the history. Of the, like, where are we? I just I always think about this. I don't know the answer. Obviously, if I'm but being where honest, are we on the hundred year story? If I'm being honest, where we are right now today, my original answer was going to be almost what you're saying is that we're sort of in a lull. Okay, so I. Said like you know the original dot com era is this Cambrian explosion that tended to have sort of a, a flavor towards commerce, and then in the Web two point era you have this more here comes everybody sort of thing where uh, the web and 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 technology yeah. itself becomes more bi directional where people aren't just yeah. passively consuming. This is Web two I think right. that's Clay Shirky's phrase, right. which is sort of. This idea of like Wikipedia and Facebook, whatever, of just sort of this bi-directional instead I mean, of just uh, by just turning the knob a little bit, that shades into social, right? Yeah, yeah. And then when mobile mobile is essentially arrives at the same time that social yeah. goes mainstream, and it is serendipitously the perfect consumption yeah. and crucially creation device yeah, yeah. for social, right? So would social have got as far as it had had the iPhone not arrived at the exact same moment. It's within the same 18-month period that Facebook opens open registration and the iPhone is released and things like that. But I think that's a, that's a crucial thing to remember is that it's not just the perfect consumption device. It's the key device for actually creating all that social stuff. Oh, back to your original question. Yeah. I actually think we're in a lull right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah. That remember what it was like you know, as late as even 2012 – where it was like every couple of days you'd be like, what's this new thing now? Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to be on this? Yeah. Do I have to try this? Do I need this gadget or whatever? And, you know, aside from all of the other, you know, things about tech right now and people maybe feeling bad about the tech industry generally, I also think that what's not helped is that there hasn't been that new wow yeah. factor. And and I don't know what that is. Are we in a lull or is the internet like... TV and now we have CBS, NBC, and ABC. Is that a symptom of and maturity? Then, and then it's just yeah. Is it, or is it? I guess so. I, I agree we're in a lull yeah. now. But I and I I personally I'll just say I'm uh, my own bias would be it's a lull and it will sure. and it, it yeah. will unlull or whatever. Right. But, but uh, another argument, you know, I think if you read uh, Tim Wu's book, mm-hmm. uh, Master, I think it's called Master Switch. Master um, Switch, yeah. It's a really good book. He uh, but he basically argues this is just sort of the all all forms of media. You get mature, you have four big incumbents, and then you yeah. have the government either breaks them up or doesn't. Like, is that right. is that where we are? Or I think so for at least the existing players. But I think the other thing where we are right now is or, or is software technology have a different dynamic? I guess that's what I'm. I, I you know, well, here's I mean, that's, what, here, I'm guess sort of I'm sort of hinting at my view, which is I think software is a little different than well, hardware you know, in that way. But because this is more what I on my daily podcast that I've been talking about a lot lately is that another symptom of what we have right now is that there was a lot of low hanging fruit picked. Like when mobile takes off, you can be a 16-person team, code up a new, better, slightly different chat app, and have a billion users. So we were in this great 
period of a decade, the better part of a decade, where everybody can chase a billion users, right? Well, most of those categories have been filled. I mean, arguably, anyone could come around tomorrow and do something slightly differently and and take over anybody's place in any of these things. But because all anyone was chasing was scale, all that mattered was getting to that scale. And I think that what we're waiting for now is that it is sort of like the market where it was just the Model T and you could only get it in black and there was only... What we need to see this next generation develop is that it's it's about not just the quantity or not about the scale, it's about the quality. Like the way that you'll differentiate yeah. and become the new Instagram and become the new, what I, I'm using mostly chat apps right now as the example, yeah. but is to provide a qualitatively better experience. And I actually think that that will create more interesting startups because it's not just you show up here, plant your flag in this market and reach a billion users. If you're going to reach a billion users now, you have to offer something qualitatively different than what yeah. other people are doing. Yeah, I guess the question I have is, so the, the, I think the historical pattern in tech has been sort of this interaction between what's called infrastructures and people call platforms or something, but it's like mm. infrastructure and applications, right? Yeah. And so infrastructure in my mind is computers, the internet, right? It's sort of, you know, broadband, smartphones, applications are the word processor, mosaic, mm-hmm. eBay, you know, as websites, Instagram, things like that, right? And I think, you know, you mentioned low-hanging fruit. What happened right there was the iPhone was this major new unlock kind of for a new wave of infrastructure, right? So then, and then, and people suddenly have this, you're holding this thing in your hand, you got a camera, mm-hmm. you've got this awesome screen, what am I going to do with it? You're sitting there looking for apps, you don't have that many on your screen, you know, now it's yeah, saturated, yeah, right? Yeah. And so then, and I think the history has been that you, the, the lull is due to the fact that now, you know, the iPhone is 2007, the App Store 2008, so we're 10 years into this cycle. Right. And so it's sort of people have entrepreneurs have picked off all the low hanging applications. And, and, and but then but then either we're at the end of history or something new comes along. And I don't know. You know, we have all these candidates mm-hmm. and maybe it's a new kind of device. Maybe it's cars. Right, maybe right, it's VR. Maybe right, it's right, right, blockchain. Right. Maybe it's machine learning stuff. Maybe it's whatever. I don't know what it is. Um, and uh, and that thing then creates a new piece of infrastructure that unlocks 10 years of innovation, or we're at the end of history. I don't know. We're not at the end of history because what I think another thing, and I'm not blaming entrepreneurs for this, but people are still doing the same playbook that people have been doing since 2004, since the first time that you could achieve a billion users with a product, right? And so what, what I'm saying is, is what maybe we're also waiting on is for that next generation to come up behind and be like, well, we're doing it this way because this is the way it makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. As opposed to maybe, especially these last couple of years, people are still trying to hit from the same playbook. And that's not what happened. Okay, so you're saying less an in, a new piece of infrastructure and more just a new kind of cultural shift. And in, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because think about it. Like when we were talking about when the dot-com bubble burst and like, well, people think it's a fad and this is over. But the people that still believed it, they, people were still using it. They were still using it to do cool stuff, right? And so they weren't trying to – it's not like everyone – because they had the example of the whole dot-com thing blowing up. So they weren't going to do that playbook. That playbook was dead and over. So they were freed to go off and do crazy ideas, right? So it's almost like we're being held back by the fact that we have been so successful in tech. And tech has taken over the world. And so people are trying to follow that model that has been so successful for everybody else. It would almost be useful if we had a couple blowups so that people would be freed up to think differently. And also, crucially, 
be brave enough because again when Flickr gets started like it's no other like this is cool like I can I want to find all photos of the Grand Canyon and users will do this for us with taxonomies and tagging and like so like and then we'll find the business model later whereas everybody is still again trying to play from that Instagram and and get to a billion users and get to scale playbook I think what Probably will happen is uh, is some t- at some uh, you sort of have these uh, archetype companies come up who show a new playbook, right? So you mentioned Flickr mm-hmm. and those and Delicious and those things in the kind of Web two era, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking earlier about eBay that kind of paved the way for a lot of that stuff. Um, I think there's been a sh- like right now at least what I'm seeing in the industry is there's a lot of stuff happening on in enterprise software. So if you kind of think about I mean, one way to interpret the current internet, like era of the internet, is it's actually a, a, a corporate slash enterprise era, right? right. Um, uh, and I'll admit yeah, my bias yeah, is towards consumers. Yeah. No, and I'll so, say yeah. so. Just and, I, and I, mine is too, but yeah. I but I work at a firm that does, that does both, and I see yeah. that, see this stuff happening. Um, uh, the you know, if you just think about your typical experience of a corporate worker in 2018, yeah. you go to the office and maybe you're using Windows 95 and you know some archaic, I don't know what. ERP software yeah, and a bunch yeah. of other stuff, and then you go home and you're using this yeah. like you know yeah. Retina iPad right. and Gmail and mm-hmm. Facebook. It's it's a very you know it's like a little like a time travel experience, right? Like you, yeah. the, the software, the work feels like ten years ago. So I, one interpretation I think is what's happening right now is we're just upgrading all that stuff, and that's hap- that's quote unquote SaaS and all these other kinds of things going on. And it's, it, there's a lot of successful companies there. Can I pose a question that literally I'm posing this to you because I wonder if structurally this is another thing. When when you had Web 2.0 Flower, Microsoft had already had the antitrust thing, so they're not going to buy anybody, right? Yeah. The dot-com bubble had happened, so it had cleared the slate. Yeah. So there was this decade-long period for the Facebooks and everybody to surface, and no one's going to take them out. So I'm almost asking you, like— I mean, there was Yahoo who was trying a little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. but um, not in not in the way that Microsoft could have— Microsoft could still have bought Amazon when it was a $5 yeah. stock, yeah. you know? And like, yeah. So— Maybe are we structurally in a situation where the danger is is that because the big players at the top are so big and all they do is every time there's a new crop coming through, they just pick them up, incorporate them, and turn them into yeah. a feature of their existing yeah, products. Well, that- Instagram story, Snapchat would be the most. Exactly. So they didn't even have to buy them in that case, right? right? They right. just that, that's the, that's the counterargument is the distribute on the consumer side. So the, if we're in the a distribution law. is so strong that even right. if you have that great right. idea now now there are also but there are limits to this right like there's only so many times Facebook can add keep adding features to Instagram without you know without like the thing becoming you know but what like, I'm saying is is know. that like so then if if Flickr comes around today that would just be you know it's the most obvious example yeah. tagging photos but, yeah. but that would just be something that would be immediately scooped up and incorporated into someone's existing product so like are we in a law because we almost got lucky 15 years ago that we had this period where everyone could ride up and no one kneecaps them. I think and it they definitely can, had. Yeah. A, I mean, I just think it had. A, like, look, look at Snap, Snapchat's a great example, right? That, that was. A, I mean, you know, uh, tr- the, they really invented sort of a new media type, yeah. right? I mean, that type of you know whatever the vertical the vertical short video with stuff. Like, it's a brand new idea, and just the way that the ephemeral messaging and all you know, it's probably on par with things like Flickr and sort of their new novelty. And then, you know, and they're still a very successful company right. and they're publicly traded and, you know. But I think their growth, most people would agree, was severely limited by the fact that all of the ideas propagated so mm-hmm. quickly. And particularly companies like Facebook have gotten very good at execution and leveraging their massive distribution, right? Well, and Am- look, Amazon too. Like you have some great new, you know, 
Etsy comes along yeah. and then Amazon launches Etsy. I don't know how well it's done, but Amazon Homemade or whatever. Right. You know, Instagram comes along and they launch it. You know, so they're and they just take advantage of their scale and Amazon Prime and just all these other things. And I'm also almost saying it at the level of like if you if you're a company that can has the luxury of staying independent, then you have to find if you have one good feature idea or one good product idea, but it's not an actually a good business, you have to bust your butt to make that happen. Yeah. Versus if you're in an environment where you have one good feature and someone's going to acquire you just to add that feature to their set, then you don't have to do the work of actually evolving that feature yep. before it can become yep. a good business. My partner, Alex Rampel, so I'm going to butcher the phrase, but it's something like startups try to find distribution for their innovation faster than the incumbents attach innovation to their distribution right, or something, right, something right, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's sort yeah. of a race. And he always uses like TiVo as an example, like great idea, no, yeah. but you're competing against Comcast. Right. And like, you know, it'll, of course, it'll take Comcast five years to add this feature because they're just not very good at yeah. adding new features, but they're Comcast and they've got whatever X tens of millions of households and eventually they add the TiVo feature and you know what I mean? Yeah. Or can TiVo yeah. leverage that? Or like yeah. Netflix is probably the one of the most interesting ones today, right? right. Because it's, you know, a lot of people would have bet against that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people did mm-hmm. bet against it. Mm-hmm. The idea that they would be able to add on, you know, get to 200 million people before the people with 200 million people would figure out that like people want yeah. always on streaming yeah. and everything yeah. else, right? Yeah. I sort of think of it as like I, the enterprise consumer thing. That said, there's always new interesting stuff popping up. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's always this kind of search on the periphery. I personally, where I, I enjoy spending my time is on the periphery, on the you know, virtual reality and crypto and all these other kinds of things. Like, there's always these periphery things, and those, I think, sometimes, you know, especially if you get a lot of developers fired up, can surprise you in the rate at which they improve. And I think at some point, I don't know when it'll be, but mm-hmm. I, I think at some point there will be kind of a new set of infrastructure that unlocks new capabilities, and then we go back to that kind of low-hanging fruit mode you described. Yeah. Well, um, one of the key things to look for, and go back to the PC era, the Homebrew Computer Club, yeah. go back to when the internet gets started and people are just doing it because they want to make cool websites, yeah. go back to when the dot-com, always look for the people that are doing this even though they don't think they're, there's a reasonable yeah, expectation they'll get paid yeah, for yeah. it. Like, but they're so passionate about it. Yeah. Like the, the PC industry was literally created by hobbyists. Yeah. And, and so like you should be looking in those spaces today even as weird as those spaces might look right now. Yeah. And, you know, even think of things like esports and things like that that obviously yeah. are becoming uh, very successful spaces right now. But, like, that's where you need to look is where, on the developer side, but even literally on the hobbyist side, where are the people doing these things so passionately that they don't, it doesn't even occur to them it could be a business yeah. or an industry. Yeah. Like, that's where the next Yeah, I like is. to think of it as, um, as uh, when one, I, I was, I had one time I was thinking about this. Like, why is it that so many interesting tech things come from hobbies? Mm-hmm. And I, one model, this is just one model I'd propose, um, which is think about the things in life that operate on a two to three year time horizon versus the things that operate on a ten year. Mm-hmm. So most businesses, you go to your work nine to five, and almost every normal business, maybe a few outliers here and there, they they operate on sort of they manage to a you know quarterly or yearly cycle, right? And maybe they'll invest in sort of two to three year things or something. Who in the world invests at a ten year cycle, right? I would say it's maybe academics, mm. maybe like things like DARPA, government, right? Yeah, 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 government. 
And then it's and then hobbyists, frankly, right? Because the hobbyists don't care if they're doing it for love; yeah. they're doing it, yeah. you know, because it's just cool, right? right. If you see like people in in whatever the homebrew computer club, mm-hmm. they weren't thinking, oh, what's the ROI on this for the next two they years? They just wanted right? to program <laughs> a machine of their own. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But in some ways, I think there's. So I, I would argue there's a deeper truth to the hobbyist thing. It's not just. I mean, there's what it's what you said. There's the passion. There's the mm-hmm. smart people. But it's also they're they're people that are investing on a longer time horizon, and, yeah, and that's a that's very that's a very important. It's, it's sort of a rare thing. Yeah. I think in in general. Generally, in, in the way capital sort of most corporations are designed today, they just simply aren't designed to operate at that time scale, right? That gets back to my theory of why we're in a lull is that, again, people are, are doing the same playbook. Yeah. And like you need to, you need to, that generation to come. It, it could just be a generational thing. It could thing. be a generational thing. Like yeah. we need that turnover of people who see things in a different way. Exactly. And just sort of, exactly. And just maybe, and maybe they have to sometimes sort of forget at least recent history and sort of. You know, not or not be acculturated into a certain way of thinking of what. And how again, you build that almost makes me think that it, it was so. It's so beneficial to have a cleansing, <laughs> a calling of the herd sometimes. Yeah. To, to blow up the old models and blow up literally the old incumbents, um, because then that's the only way that people like what we're, what we're talking yeah. about is people that are crazy enough to be like, well, we're going to do it this way. Yeah. And then, well, but that turns out to be the way that works in this new era. Yeah. And so it's harder now because it has been so successful that you have a framework where, like, you, it, it almost looks dumb to do things any other way right now. Yep. And there's no incentive to do it. Yeah. So, like, last question, I guess. What were, um, were there a couple things that you, you, you obviously know a lot about the history of technology, or I assume already, you know, before the, writing the book. Um, what were some of the most surprising things you, you learned writing the book or most interesting things? How much it always is, um, People feeling around in the dark, mm-hmm. faking it until they make it, you know. Um, and again, the so you didn't. So that was. So, I mean, so if that, you're an entrepreneur, you know that that's the truth yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. And so that even though the book becomes the story of these were the guys that were successful, like I was always looking for the thing, like you know. I see. Like, what's the secret? What did they do that was so my smart? theory is that. Because we know Bezos is so analytical, right? Yeah. So he just wh- had it all mapped out, and we know all the no, no, no. Yeah. We no, we you, know yeah, the yeah. reason that he started with books. He did all the he he did all the okay. This is our, but he was proving it to himself. Mm-hmm. He did not necessarily believe himself that commerce was better in a, a in a virtual environment. But once he proved it, so like run starting with books and running Amazon was almost like this test that he was running huh. to himself. And then because we see as soon as books proves it, then that's when pedal to the metal, get big fast. So even in the case of arguably the most successful entrepreneur of this generation, I think that he did not, you know, quit Wall Street, get in the car, no matter what he says, there's the, the hagiography yeah, on that or whatever. Yeah. And he knew from day one, I'm going to have yeah. an everything store. I think he thought there could be an everything store, but he was running the test. Mm-hmm. And then once he proved it to himself, then he went whole hog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, other things like, again, with like social media and things like this, like who, how long did all of us think, okay, this is a great thing, but is there a great business here behind yeah. this? Do you know what I mean? So like, it's almost the feeling around in the dark, even when you've got a provably yeah, yeah. great idea, yeah. like fitting that to a provably great business model, yeah. you know? So it, it's, it's, I think it didn't. Maybe it didn't surprise me that, but I I yeah. want 
people to see that in the book that it it's it's not a, just a story of like these are the geniuses that won like why did they win and guess what in almost every single case you know the whole facebook chapter is about zuckerberg almost <laughs> it's requiring people to tell him no you've got the great idea here run with yeah, this he was doing uh a wirehog. Yeah, even even like when well, Facebook was sort of taking off, yeah. right? He had wirehog, which was just totally yeah. separate. Kind yeah. of like they're you know, already out in California, plan. and and um, Sean Parker, at least this is Parker's telling. So you know, <laughs> granted that, but he's got to convince Mark. You have this great idea here. Believe in this. You know. So being an entrepreneur myself, I wanted to not bust the myths on that, but show that like. We'll always come behind 20 years later and say that we were geniuses and we saw it all along, but that's not the reality on the ground. So, All right, awesome. Well, thank you for being here, and everyone listening should read the book. It's a great book. Thanks. Thanks so much.